Coming up on this week's episode of Homology, we are grabbing our power-ups and taking a trip down some warp pipes. That's right, we're talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie. All that and more coming up on this week's episode of Homology. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious. Alright everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Filmology. I am John Glorowitz, also known as Johnny G over at filmologyshow.com. And on this week's episode of the show, I am joined by, with, not really sure how grammar works today at all, or any day for that matter, but I'm joined with uh, Mike and Samantha. It's a me, a Mike. (laughs) She's just laughing. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be like a boo laugh that's like... No, that was just me laughing... It's a me, Samantha. That you're gonna go like Daisy or something like that. Daisy, God, she's so annoying. On this week's episode of the show, if you couldn't tell by now, we're talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie, the latest uh, release from Illumination uh, Universal. We'll get into that in a bit. We're also going to be taking a look at a film that Samantha picked for this week's show that's streaming, uh, Noddington Hill. Just Notting Hill. Not Notting Hill. I'm not even actually Noddington. You're thinking of Paddington. Oh, Paddington. I'd rather watch Paddington. <laughs> We're talking about Notting Hill. Hugh Grant was in Paddington, too. As in the sequel. Deserved the best actor nomination for that movie. I stand by that. Paddington 2 was my favorite film of that year. Much better than Notting Hill. Spoiler alert. We're also going to be talking about our top five... Well, the show's over, everybody. Wrap it up. We're done. Also going to be talking about our top five animated films in honor of the Super Mario Brothers movie. You can find past episodes of this show. Also, written reviews all the way back to 2013 over at filmologyshow.com. Written reviews for films like Assassin's Creed, Hardcore Henry, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volumes 1, 2, and soon to be 3, all over at filmologyshow.com. Mike, Samantha, how are you guys doing this week? I mean, we we just saw the Super Mario Brothers movie. How could we be feeling bad? Woohoo! That's how I'm feeling. Wahoo! Wahoo! <laughs> Great, we're just all going to talk in Super Mario Brothers. This is like talking talking with like emojis, basically, but Mario version of the Mario versions of those things. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 great. It is great. I, I'm I feel like this is me being like Abed, you know, in the, the TV show community, how they're they're mouthing things without actually saying it, and he thinks that he's gone deaf because he can't hear what they're saying. Like that that that's how I feel right now. I don't talk with emojis or things like that. You don't talk not... in Mario language. No, I don't do that either. Not even when you're playing a Mario. I mean, game. when I'm playing a Mario game, sure, but we're not playing yeah, a Mario. Yeah, we're not. We playing... are. Life is a Mario game. <laughs> the game of life. Yeah. I mean, I play that game every day. Just look out for those gosh darn turtle shells. Those blue ones hit you every day. Every day. Well, not every day. I'm never in first place. But (laughs) (laughs) it's okay. We'll just get some housekeeping done here really quick before we get into our our main focus of the show and everything. But uh, housekeeping, uh, on last week's episode of the show, we put up a poll on the Facebook page asking, is Star Wars a fantasy film? Obviously, I thought it was. Samantha was on the side of sci-fi. And 53% of people out there 
who follow our Facebook page. And if you're not following our Facebook page, go over to Phomology Show on Facebook, follow that page. But 53% of people said that Star Wars is a sci-fi film. Victory is sweet. I was very happy to still get 47% of the vote. I would like to just <laughs> throw that out there. A victory's a victory, and I will take it. Um, so, yeah, basically, if you head over to the filmologyshow.com website, there's now going to be an asterisk next to my top five list from last week's show that says, hey, the Facebook community voted that Star Wars is not a fantasy film, but guess what? It is still staying on my top five list. I stand by it, but apparently the Vimology Nation out there does not agree with us, which is sad. Everyone has let me down. I, I should say everybody. 47% of people have not let me down. That's exciting. But speaking of Star Wars, guys, three new films were announced. Are, are you guys excited? Are we like looking forward to these films? No, nobody, nobody, Samantha's looking at me like, why are we talking about Star Wars? I don't want to talk about Star Wars. I'll be more excited when they come out, or we know more than the fact that they're just coming out. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for the TV shows more. I'm so excited for this Ahsoka show. I've watched the trailer. The first time I watched the trailer, I was, like, inside, I, I like, I felt, I felt happiness. I felt like, I felt like I was just going to start to cry and tear up because of how excited I was for this property to come. I mean, it's tying things together that have been kind of left dangling threads for a while with Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars Rebels. I mean, Sokka's been around since the Clone Wars TV show. But this just, it looks like just what I love Star Wars to be. Which the first two seasons of The Mandalorian were that. They were just good adventures. Kind of like building upon the mythology with like the Jedi and all these other things subcultures going on or some religions or whatever but it, this ahsoka trailer looks fantastic i can't get over how great it looks and then that's coming from somebody who obviously loves star wars but lately the mandalorian hasn't been doing it for me this third season's kind of been i don't want to say bad but just disappointing so having something to look forward to in star wars is really exciting having Something coming for a film, a feature film, that's moving the plot line forward. That's the thing I'm probably most excited about, is what is going on with Rey and this new Jedi Order that she's building. Nobody has any has any thoughts about the future of Star Wars, like even moving the timeline forward? Or, or has the, the Rise of Skywalker left a bad taste in everyone's mouth? I know, Samantha, you actually like the Rise of Skywalker. I'll watch it. Watching all of this stuff coming out from Star Wars Celebration this past weekend, the thing that's been most disappointing to me is uh, I'm not there in these lines with these people. Yeah. Going going to like things like Star Wars Celebration, D23, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, like the, the best part of those things are standing in the lines talking with people. Yeah, he loves his lines. Well, especially at some, especially at something like Star Wars Celebration or, or D23. Like, you guys... You were all there for, like, one specific purpose. Like, for Star Wars Celebration. It's because we love Star Wars. And that's the... the going to something like that is always... Uh, how do I put this? Like, when I think of Star Wars right now, I think of a very divided fan base. There are people out there, uh, like, on the internet who just hate upon everything that's coming out right now from Star Wars. 
which I don't understand. Like, I, I, I don't understand why people hate the sequel trilogy. The parts of it I don't like, obviously, as I said, I don't like The Rise of Skywalker, but I still appreciate that whole sequel trilogy for what it was trying to do. And when you go to something like Star Wars Celebration, I mean, yeah, there would be people there who like maybe didn't like it, like myself, but they still love this. They're still here to celebrate it. They're not saying, okay, Star Wars is dead. They're, every single person who's at that celebration, who was at that celebration this past weekend, or will be at future ones I mean, every two years, they have a celebration. They're there to let you know that that fan base is still alive, still active, still just jovial about anything that comes out for Star Wars, whether it be video games, books, movies, TV shows, what have you. It's a celebration of, of the, those fans and of what and what they hope that the, trilo- the, the trilogy, what they hope that saga, that franchise can be. And I think for the most part, it, it, it's nice. But Mike, you were going to say something? I don't think standing in line for nine hours counts as being active, is all I'm saying. Seems pretty sanitary. I I love going to those events. I mean when you when especially once again at D twenty three, when when you're in the lines for those big panels, you never know who you're gonna meet. You can meet imagineers, you can meet people, uh cast members work at the theme parks, people who actually work in the uh animation studio who just because you work there doesn't mean that you're given, hey, I have free pass to get into this great place. Like, you still have to stand in that line for, like, what? We waited in line, not this, not this past D23, but the one before that. We were in line for, yeah, probably about eight hours in line one day. Yeah. I mean, yes, obviously those panels just make me incredibly happy. And we'll be talking more about some of those panels probably even later up on this week's episode of the show, the Top 5. I love celebrations like that. They don't happen every every year, every two years, every four years, what have you. But the fact that fans can get together to celebrate these things that everyone loves. Like I there's not like a general movie thing like that. Which which for me is upsetting. Like, yes, I Samantha, I love going to the Alamo Draft House. Especially before COVID, like they were actively trying to make things feel incredibly special. You would go for like the the it movie, it chapter two, and they had the whole place just covered in these red balloons. They had just like even little things like that, or like when uh, the original Halloween, not the original, but the the reboot of Halloween came out. They had it be like Michael Myers was attacking the theater before the movie started. So like they cut all the lights in the theater for like thirty seconds, and then all of a sudden Michael is there walking through the the, the audience. Things like that are exciting. But we don't seem to get those anymore, and I, I think that's kind of upsetting to me personally. But I feel like it's probably not exciting for people with trauma in their past. Well, okay, yeah, fair, fair. But I don't think somebody who has like trauma like that is going to be going to a Halloween movie, the opening, the first showtime of an opening weekend. I will tell you that the last time we were at the Alamo, I did notice that their music was themed to what movies were out. And I noticed it when we went and saw John Wick because I was like, oh my gosh, Jonathan, it sounds like John Wick in the bathroom. And I'm very concerned that I'm about to be attacked in there because it's like John Wick music. And then we were there for Mario and I was like, oh, and now it's the vibes a lot lighter. It is now Mario music. And so I was, I did think that was kind of cool that they were theming their music and I didn't notice for a while, but I definitely have noticed recently. You know, I, and I do love that. I, I, I loved... Just walking through that lobby, I mean, I was talking. I was talking with people who were working there because I 
I'm there enough. I know people who are work at that theater, whether it be I've met them from going to that theater or we've worked at other jobs. And now that they're working there, like just chatting with them, because I also like to get the vibe of what uh, what other people are feeling about these movies. But yeah, just standing there, like no matter no matter what you think of the movie, hearing that music, especially if it's iconic stuff like the Super Mario Brothers like themes or I mean, not John Wick's not really iconic, but it really fits that vibe of that movie, like that music, like really, uh, I don't know how to describe it other than say like clubby type music. I don't know if, what the actual genre is for that. No, it's kind of clubby. But it, it, it gets you excited. And then even when you leave the theater, you're like, okay, yeah, man, I, I really like hearing this. This is, this is great. This is a great place to chat. You can always grab a drink and you continue the conversation there. So stuff like the Alamo Draft House, yes, Still special place. Still a place I love to go. But I just, I, I kind of feel like it's a film community. We still don't have like that central one thing. And I think that's because uh, it's central one place to celebrate film. And that's probably just because there's so many different genres and mediums that film touches. I know that, Samantha, you and I have enjoyed doing this uh, virtual Sundance Film Festival. I love going to film festivals, but that's still, that, that's really independent cinema. That's not something like this. I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole of just saying, hey, I want something that celebrates film. Like, a giant film festival that celebrates everything. And I know Ebert Fest down in Champaign, Illinois... So, uh, celebrates films that were overlooked in the past year. Well, it used to be in the past year, but now it's just kind of overlooked films in general, which is still exciting. But once again, the, the independent stuff for the most part. We're not going to go and see th- films that I would love to see on the big screen again, like a Star Wars film or e- even Paddington 2. Like these films that are really great and then they have their theatrical run and then they're kind of done. It's just kind of upsetting to me. I don't know. I don't know. I, I would just love to have... Stuff like that, or stuff that talks about the making of these films, like in a broader sense, not just, uh, hey, we'll do a Q&A 20 minutes after the film and then never talk about it again. But I've spent the past 20 minutes here talking about that. We're going to talk about the things that have inspired us this past week. I'm going to let somebody else start because I've been chatting for a long time here. But Samantha, what film, TV show, book, movie has really like inspired you? What is something you want to put a spotlight on this past week? Okay, Mike, while Samantha tries to come up with something to talk about, what has what was something you would like to put a spotlight on this week? Um, I've been watching Yellow Jackets. Uh, I think it's Showtime or Paramount. It's one of the two. It's about it flashes between a group a soccer I think they play soccer. Soccer team, a girl soccer team who's playing crashes in the woods, um, and what happens there and to some of them as adults. And it's like kind of a mystery about what goes on there and why it happened and things like that. It's really good. Really into it. So good. Is this something that like would be worth subscribing to Paramount Plus or Showtime for? I think so. I think I think it's Showtime. I think it was like two extra dollars after I subscribed to Paramount Plus. The one I'm going to talk about, I can't go into too much detail because it is a book that John wants to read at some point. But it is For the Throne by Hannah F. Witten. It is the second book in a series. Uh, I think the first one came out around COVID time. Anyway, it's a fantasy series that is like a very dark fantasy. And um, it's it's a whole grand adventure with a dash of romance and a dash 
a dash of sacrifice and tragedy and I just really really enjoyed reading it and I really want her to make another one so I don't know I'll, we'll see we'll see I know that there's whispers that there might be another one coming but we'll see that's all I can say about it really without spoiling anything completely my fault for not wanting to spoil things because when she was describing it to me about a week ago I was like nope I really want to read it don't tell me anymore and since then, she's continued to want to talk about it, and obviously I haven't read it yet. So. I mean, I just, I really enjoyed the book. I, I suppose I can tell you that it is trying to take a fable and then just take the essence of that and completely twist it into something else. And so there's two sisters that are the main characters. One of them is kind of like Red Riding Hood, and the other one's kind of like Snow White in a way. But it really twists hard off of the story or should i say off of the the main fable but i like a lot of those type of retelling stories how would you compare it to something like the once upon a time show uh, that was on abc years ago like or something like the the fables comic that vertigo comics has released I don't think I've read the Fable comics. I started it, but I didn't get a good feel for that. Um, comparing it to Once Upon a Time, I would say that this one is bloodier. So, so more true to the actual like original origins of those fairy tales versus the Disney-fied versions? Sure. Maybe I'll be in for a, a treat because I, I'm imagining something probably different than what it actually is. Well, you told me not to tell you. Yeah, I know. So All I can that... tell you is there's two sisters... They're lightly based off of a story. It's very dark. The trees are evil. It's a whole thing. So all all I can possibly have is more disappointment coming. Look. What, you can't be excited? Come on now. No, because when I'm excited, I get disappointment. But we'll get to that disappointment later on with Super Mario Brothers. Uh, the whole point of this segment, though, is to be excited, Jonathan. So let's hear some excitement. Be excited, Jonathan. The thing that I'm excited about to talk about is something that... We recorded an episode about, but it's one of those lost episodes that never actually made it out. And Is that Mike's Movie Minute? It's not Mike's Movie Minute. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Samantha. It's not a movie, but Samantha and I went to go see Hamilton again. And I mean, Mike, we've we've chatted about Hamilton. I've chatted about Hamilton with everybody. It is a phenomenal show. But in general, even if it's a show you don't like to see, like the Hamilton, or for me, like. I went to go see uh, Phantom of the Opera, what, four, three, four years ago, Samantha? When did I go see that? Probably about four years ago at this point. I think three years ago. But anyway, th- that's a show I don't like to see. But there's nothing that beats live theater. Even if it's a show, like I mentioned, that you don't like, there's so much talent on stage, so much passion from those performers, and it just, it rubs off on you. It makes you just have this, like, kind of how I was talking about with John Wick, it, it makes you just feel this high, this like really like man, this is great, this is phenomenal. I'm gonna go punch a car now. No, don't, obviously don't <laughs> go punch a car or anything like that. But the, the, watching Hamilton, like forget about the the story and everything about that. Just watching it is fantastic. For those of you who don't like know me, I love to I love to sit in the balcony. That's where I love to sit because I can actively see everything going on on stage the whole time. And yes, Samantha was just telling me it's a bit cheaper, but even if I could afford it, I the balcony is always where I would sit. 
because I love to see the entire set. I love to see that what everyone's doing. I love to see what the entire ensemble is doing. So yes, I might not be able to pay attention to every little detail. Like if they're holding up pieces of paper, yeah, okay, I can't read what those pieces of paper are saying. But any good show, I should be able to figure it out really quickly what's going on. But as for Hamilton, I mean, Samantha, this is a show, the more and more I see it, the more and more it kind of just resonates with me. As you know, I'm somebody who over, overly analyzes things. I am somebody who does look at the big picture of what is the legacy of, let's say, this movie, what is the legacy of everything. To the point where you're like, shut up and just enjoy this sometimes. Is a lot of people have been with me when I talk about things like comic books or talk about things like movies or what is the political process, things like that, because I am a political junkie and that's the, these are things that I like. Now, Hamilton does take liberties with history, of course. Everything that, everything that is in the entertainment sphere is going to take liberties and tell the story that they want to tell. But the story here with Hamilton is a great story that worth seeing. And if you have Disney+, Plus. And you can't go see this live. Disney Plus is a great way to watch this story. Specifically for the version that we saw. No, I didn't love every single cast member in the show. It was actually probably one of the weaker casts that I've seen uh, performing Hamilton. I I still left loving the show. I still left being like, okay, if I I could get tickets to go again, and tickets are sold out, I, I would go. In a heartbeat, I would go see this show again. And maybe that's just my love for this story. Maybe that's just my love for... I don't know. I, I just... I love it. And I was one of those people who, when Hamilton first came out, I, I actively avoided it. Because I was like, nope. I don't really want to... I don't... Like, In the Heights was fine. The, the actual stage show. I, I didn't love it. I love the movie. Oh, I love In the Heights of the movie. I was going to say, I don't think it. that's the John I know. No. But... I mean, because I, I saw In the Heights. I saw it on Broadway. And I, I didn't walk out being like, yeah, this is the best thing ever. But then Hamilton, I've seen, this is what my, what, third time seeing it, Hamilton? And I'm, I'm still like, this is one of the best staged shows. There are things about it that I don't like. Things I would personally do differently, but that's whatever. Overall, it's a show that everybody should see. It's a show that everybody I feel can connect to. For the most part, you're going to have people who are either going to be Alexander Hamilton or Aaron Burr. And I think... The, that's a fascinating thing to look at is the people who just wait at the sidelines waiting for their moment or the people who are actively charging down what they want and while it might lead to their defeat at the end they're still continually going on striving to go forward and having to fight for whatever progress they personally want whether it be for the benefit of the entire society or just for their own personal uh, gains uh, Who's to say history? Once again, history has its eyes on you. It will judge you later on down the line. Not at this exact moment in time. That's obvious. But that's the point of the show. I mean, that's the things that I take away from it is like, you have, the show flat out says it, you have no control who tells your story. And that's the thing which I think is fascinating. And also sends me to like spiraling, spiraling down. But... I think it's just so interesting that, like, generations from now, those are the people who are going to define who you were as a person. Just like the stories that get passed down from, like, my, the, I mean, my grand, my grandparents, um, all but one are passed away. So it's the stories that my parents tell me about them. Like, the way that they tell them, that's what shapes my 
feelings and thoughts upon them because I I like there I didn't even get to know some of my grandparents. So I think that's fascinating. Or my great grandparents. Like I, I get to hear all these stories about them and how they were growing up and just what they did for their lives and things like that. I think that stuff is fascinating. Now, obviously my grandparents didn't uh, fight in the Revolutionary War because 300 plus years ago, but I don't know. I, I am a huge fan of stuff like this. This is the stuff that just makes me so excited to talk about just anything. Like, let's get stories. Storytelling is so important to me. And that's also why I love the work of Lynn Manuel Miranda, because he talks about storytelling. He talks about legacy. He talks about all these things that are just like kind of shooting a drug into your system. And it's like, man, like, it, for me, it just gets me going. Like, everything we've talked about before. We've talked about Vivo. We've talked about. Hamilton, we've talked about in the Heights and all of that stuff. It all deals with the same stuff. And I just, I, I love it. If you haven't seen Hamilton, definitely go check it out. I feel like we got everything out of the way there. It put a spotlight on some things. And we're going to put now a spotlight on the Super Mario Brothers movie. So here is the trailer for the Super Mario Brothers movie. Dun, 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 not sure if you know who I am, but I'm about to rule the world. Wow, uh, yay. But there's one problem. There's a human, has a mustache, just like you. Do you think I know every human being with a mustache wearing an identical outfit with a hat with the letter of his first name on it? <laughs> because I don't. Bowser is coming. Together, we are going to stop that monster. How? Look at us. We're adorable. Oh, I got this. No problem. Yes! Come on, Mario! Our big adventure begins now! Ah! Get it off, get it off, get it off! While working underground to fix a water main, Brooklyn plumbers and brothers Mario and Luigi are transported down a mysterious pipe and wander into a magical new world. But when the brothers are separated, Mario embarks on an epic quest to find Luigi. That is a plot synopsis for the latest animated feature film, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Before we get going here with our like initial thoughts on the film itself, I guess what is everyone's like relationship to the Mario franchise? Which I guess basically is what is your relationship to Nintendo? Because I mean, without Mario, there is no Nintendo. Let's just be honest. This is gonna sound like a question that's maybe not relevant. What came first though for Nintendo? Was it the actual Game Boy game or was it the cards? Or Pokemon? It was a game, I believe. The video game. See, I don't know. You think the cards came first? They were called Pocket Monsters for quite a while, the cards. I mean, they're still called, the Pokemon is Pocket Monsters. That's what they. That's what it means. Yeah, it's just an abbreviation. Okay, okay, okay. And I am right. Pokemon, the franchise began as Pocket Monsters, red and green, which is Pokemon red and blue in the U.S. on Game Boy. But is, so is that, that the, the whole thing's owned by Nintendo then? Or is it a separate? Uh, it's like Nintendo's there with Game Freak. It's complicated. Because I remember seeing the Detective Pikachu movie, and I saw a Pokemon logo at the beginning, but I did not see a Nintendo logo at the beginning. 
Nintendo owns like a third of the company that actually like owns and develops Pokemon games and such. But like they like control it enough where they can't release it on any other systems and stuff. So I. Point being, the for me solely like the, the one property that Nintendo solely owns and controls is Mario. Like that is their big bread and butter. That's why you'll see a new game out basically every year or every other year, whether it be a version of uh, Super Mario Brothers or uh, Super Smash or Mario Kart, Mario Party, Luigi's Mansion, like things like that continuously come out and are continuously gobbled up by fans. So where do you guys stand? Do you guys like Super Mario, like the, the Mario franchise or like, how, how do we feel? Like, what is our relationship to Mario? I've been playing it since I... It's like one of my first memories, actually. I was playing it on NES. And I still have it. I actually played it a couple months ago. So I enjoyed... I played most of the games, not all of them. Um, but I really enjoy them. They're fun. They're not deep games by any means, but you just want a fun time. Boot it up. And for me, like, my first memory of Mario was on the N64, playing Super Mario, uh, Super Mario 64. I mean, I still have my N64... Sadly, I'm, I'm missing a cord for it, so I I can't actively play it until I get that cord again. But I mean, I got the, I got the remastered version of Super Mario uh, 64 for the Switch, and I love it. I, I it is such an iconic game to me, and, and I I really love that game. Like, I just think about that game. Think about all the hours I put into that game growing up. It makes me like like that's something that makes me happy. Like playing that game was just so much fun. Did I ever like? Go, yeah, I, I relate to Mario. No, but I was just like, Mario's like the person who's going around doing everything. It's just who he was. Like, I, I I never thought of Mario as like a personality. To me, when I think of like characters who have personalities for like companies, I think of Mickey Mouse, obviously. Like, Mickey Mouse has a personality. Like, I can, I can describe Mickey Mouse, but I can't describe Mario, which is, I think was a problem going into this movie. It was like, okay, who is Mario? Uh, but, but other than that, I mean... So, I'm trying to think of my first Mario game, and I gotta say, before I played Mario, I played Super Smash Brothers on the GameCube, and then I played Pokemon on a Game Boy, and at some point, I started playing Mario on the Wii. So, it took me a while to actually get into Mario games, per se, because on the Wii, I would play... Mario Kart, and one of my friends had Mario Party, so I tried it at least once. And then I was really obsessed with the Super Mario Galaxy, which I still am obsessed. So I'd say that one is my game out of all the Mario games. And of course, now John and I play a lot of Mario Kart and Mario Party on our Switch. I love I love those games, but... The thing, the thing which I, I keep kind of going over in my head is, what about this can be turned into a movie? It is a great world that visually looks fantastic. But what about Mario Kart makes for a great story? What about Mario Party? What about, like, any of this stuff? And it's it's just, it becomes hard. So you get films like the 1990, what, 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie, the live action one. And Mike, I, I, when was the last time you watched that movie? We just rewatched it after watching. Was Samantha watched it? I should say for the first time, and I rewatched it after watching this uh, this new animated film. The one 
giant like thing I will say with well, two two big things. Two big things for that original film. It's not good. Number one, it's not good. Like don't misinterpret the things I'm going to say coming up now and think, "Yeah, cool. I should go check out this movie right away." It's not good. But the thing that I like about the movie is it's taking risks. It's trying to reinterpret the storyline in a completely different way that I don't think anybody had seen at that point. Does it make sense? Not one like. But fun to watch in a so bad it's good way? Yeah, I think it is. And I enjoy films that take risks. They don't pay off. I don't know why they were really stuck on this whole dino whatever this dino land thing was and the really weird way that they take goombas bad choices all around but i think i spoilers going going forward here i think i enjoyed that film more than this animated one that we uh watched yeah that was a wild ride Uh, it is definitely so bad it's good so I could see myself rewatching that one more than I could see myself rewatching the new Mario. And I think that's almost sad because the newer Mario is more true to the games, I'd say. Going into this this animated film here, I was excited. Like I was I kept showing Samantha the trailer. I'm like, this looks great, this looks like it's gonna get just like it it was making me just feel energized for this property that really I don't care about. But between everything, between this movie, the new Super Mario uh, Super Mario World theme to land at Universal Hollywood, like all of this altogether was just kind of rolling into a ball for me of excitement. I walked into this movie wanting to love it. Wanting to absolutely love it. And I honestly walked out feeling... Like, my soul had just been crushed. I did not feel happy leaving this theater. And I should have. I should have felt happy. But the big question, as I was just pointing out before, who is Mario? What makes Mario take? I watched an hour and a half film, and I still can't give you that answer. I don't think there's enough story here. And maybe it's just there's not enough story with Mario in general. But... I mean, I I said it before this movie came out. This is a billion-dollar film. No matter what you do with it, this is a billion-dollar film. You could just put up Mario and just have him running around screen for an hour and a half, and everyone's going to buy a ticket because people for the past, past like, 40 years, people have been playing Mario games here. Everybody has an attack. Not everybody, but that's generations of people who have grown up with these games, grown up with these characters, and they want to see them on the big screen. It's something that's exciting. Did anybody find excitement in this movie? I I, I, I personally didn't. But I'll let you guys go right now with your initial thoughts on the Super Mario Brothers movie. I absolutely loved it. I don't know what you're on about, Jonathan. I was very happy with the movie overall. I really enjoyed it. I laughed. Uh, well, I didn't cry. But I was really in- I was entertained the entire way through. It was exactly what I expected of a Mario movie. Mario is a, guy, is a plumber who goes and saves princesses from giant tur- turtle dinosaur guys. It's, it was exactly what I thought it would be. Well, I'm just going to say that for like the first half of the movie, when they're starting their journey and they're meeting people along the way, and they're like, hey, I need to get over here to do this thing. 
pretty much everyone he came across was just like, yeah, no problem, let's go. And I was like, wait, would you really drop everything to help this stranger? And they're like, yeah, no problem, let's go. They're like, we don't have time to set up anything or make it feel natural how we're forming the party to go on the adventure. And it just felt so awkward to me because I was like, there's no way that you could run up to someone and be like, hey, I got to do this thing. And then everyone, no matter what you do or say, will just say, yep, no problem, let's go. So I feel like that really bothered me personally because I didn't understand anybody's motivation or why they were helping or why they were doing anything. So I was like, what, what is happening? Um, I also would like to point out that my favorite character is Goomba. And there was terrible, horrible Goomba representation in this movie. And he deserves better, to be honest. There was a Goomba that was locked up. Like where all the enemies <laughs> of Bowser were. Did you notice that one? Yeah, he was we my did. favorite. We've created a backstory for that character because <laughs> he was starting apparently like a revolution against Bowser. And he had to be put into the the fire pit but yeah i mean my, my favorite character is yoshi who i think actually has less representation in this film than goomba i disagree you disagree that yoshi yoshi i disagree Yoshi's yoshi not. had a nice little look back moment that's about the same amount of time that goomba was banging his head on the bars <laughs> so you know what? Like apparently the Goombas and uh, Yoshis have equal representation in the Super Mario Brothers movie. Which, which is, is not enough. Still weird to have very little Yoshi representation in this film. There was better representation in the old Mario movie. Was it showing them in a flattering light? No, but they were there. They actually helped. They actually did something. <laughs> they actually did something. Yoshi didn't show up until Super Mario World, though, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe... Maybe in the sequel there'll be more Yoshi for you. I mean, obviously in the sequel there's gonna be more Yoshi for me if you saw the end credit scene. But Whoa, spoiler alert, buddy. I thought we were having spoilers. Mike, do you watch the end credit scenes? I did, I stayed and watched that one. Oh, okay. It's the egg the egg and then it makes the Yoshi sound. Yeah. I mean we we were the only two in our entire theater who said everyone else left. <laughs> Yeah. Pretty much the whole theater stayed in mine. It was sold out, and pretty much everyone stayed for the end credit scenes. Wow. I mean, at the Alamo Draft House, there was a showing every hour. So there's not a single one that was sold out, but there was still, like, I'd say pretty good representation at every, at least for that uh, that Friday night, pretty good representation for every showing. I will tell you that there was some youngins at our showing. And you could hear him laughing at, at some of the jokes, and you're just like, okay, well, at least someone in this theater's having a good time. Yeah, I, I heard kids laughing. The person next to me was like in her early twenties was laughing. I laughed a lot. I don't. Know. I, everyone in my theater seemed like uh, at least it seemed like they all enjoyed it and they were all happy with it. Mm. Well, yeah. I do think John and I both had some good laughs at that little star. The sprite guy, L- sprite is hilarious. Lumily. He's my favorite character now. Lumily. Yeah. Is Luma. the best character in this film. <laughs> I can't believe they had this character in this film. If they're like, okay, let's appeal to to families, and I'm just like, this is a really dark character. What is happening? Well, it, it, it's appealing to the people like me who are like, why am I here? This is not like nothing in this movie is working. And then Luma Lee shows up. I'm like, forget all of you. I want the Luma Lee solo movie. Well, Bring maybe, it right now. Maybe they'll have a Super Mario Galaxy movie. Which I'd be excited for, and they'd have more Luma and other stars and Rosalina. 
on the spaceship. Maybe the next one will be a, maybe the next one will be Super Mario World, and then Super Mario Galaxy will be the third one. Yeah, and then the fourth movie will be like a Smash Brothers Avengers type movie. Yeah, Jonathan's cringing. Well, look, I'm cringing because I I didn't enjoy this movie. I I really didn't. I did not like it. As Samantha was talking about, yes, Bowser of course is the main conflict. Things that I need to see in order to feel like, okay, Bowser is actually a threat. I need to see him do something. Not just say, oh, I have a star. Cool. What does that star do? What do you, I, I don't know. He attacks some penguins. Yeah. And he blows up their little world thing. Yeah. I don't think that's enough. And then he's like, I'm going to make this princess marry me. And if she doesn't, I'm going to blow up her world. I also, I'm pretty sure, like, I also felt that that was just super awkward. Like, I have always enjoyed the idea that Bowser loves Peach, and that's why he kidnaps her all the time. And I like the idea that maybe she's grown used to him, and she's like, oh, okay, here we go, another trip to, to Bow Bow's house. But I just, it just didn't feel natural in this movie. It felt awkward and cringy. I love I love Jack Black's performance, so he's he sold it for me. I'm, I don't know. Jack Black's the only one who's like actively performing in this film, so like, yeah, I'm I'm not gonna take away Jack Black's performance as Bowser. I'm saying the character written for him was awkward. I don't. What's what are you supposed to do? It's a giant turtle dinosaur guy. I don't know what you're gonna do with Bowser. There's no way you can bring him back in the sequel because if this is all he's gonna do, then forget it. Yeah. He comes back and wants revenge. It's fine. <laughs> He's going to come back with his kid, Bowser Jr. Look, or like all of them. There's like a million of them, isn't there? I don't know. Look, here's what I'm trying to say. With some, I'm, I'm going to tie this back to Star Wars, tying it back to the beginning of the show, tying it back to something I'll get to here in just a second. With Star Wars, that first film in 1977, the Empire blows up Alderaan. They're a threat. They're demonstrating completely how they're a threat. It's not that they took the entire planet hostage and put them in cages and then blew up the planet. No, that entire system full of millions of lives is gone, wiped from existence. That is terrifying. You want that to be stopped. Bowser shows up, has all the penguins leave the castle, and he's like, okay, cool, I'm melting this, and now I'm going to go take the star, and then uh, you're all coming hostage. They're still, like, alive. They still survive this movie. As much as I like, I don't want to. Like, obviously, I love penguins, and the penguin scene in the trailer I thought was great. In the movie, I was like, okay, I'm not, not vibing with it here. And it's really the big reason is because they do all these really cringy needle drops in this movie, which is all '80s music that I adore. But hearing it in this film, I'm like, are you kidding me? Especially things like uh, Mr. Blue Sky. It makes me think of better films like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, like. Actively, you are picking songs that are in other Chris Pratt properties that are better. Don't do that. The needle drops were cringy and made me just terrified of the next one and then the next one and the next one until I wanted to like bash my head against the seat in front of me. No, Bowser's songs were funny. I loved it. No, no, take the Bowser songs. That was great. The Bowser songs were fine. I, that, that's just Jack Black being Jack Black. I'm happy that you gotta be Jack Black. The, tying it back once again. The, the Star Wars. I, I first saw Star Wars, that first film, when they did the re-release in 1997. 
I was five years old when I saw that movie. That movie appealed to me. It still appeals to me. And obviously appeals to generations. So when I found, when I got sent this article from IGN by Amelia Emberwing, and once again, no, I, I'm not like going to be mad at the person who wrote the article. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I really think this article is just completely off base. And I think that anyone who says, what I'm going to read here in the article, is completely off base. Uh, the article is entitled, Gentle Reminder That the Super Mario Brothers Movie is for Children. And then the article goes on to talk about how this movie is made for children. And how you have to go into that mindset saying, yes, this is a film that's directly made for children. Uh, I'm going to quote here from the article. The, the eight-year-olds that the Super Mario Brothers movie was made for are going to have a dang blast. And while it sucks for those adults who have been disappointed, those eight-year-olds were always the point. What is wrong with a film? I always, I always point to Pixar. Always point to Pixar when it comes to making films that appeal to adults and to children. To have anybody, anybody, say that a film is only meant for kids... Do yourself a favor. Never watch another movie again. Never read another book again. Like, goodness, I am angry. Like, no, you miss how angry I am with this. This is complete BS. That is saying that all the generations who came before this, who made the Mario character, those Mario games, what the Nintendo legacy has become, it's giving them the middle finger. It's saying, you're not good enough. We don't care about you. Here's a shovel. Go dig yourself a grave. What? Why are you saying that? She's saying that these people don't matter. And I, the thing which bothers me is... I, I've said this to numerous people over the past couple days who've brought this argument to me. That this film is only meant for children. Children don't have money to pay for this. An eight-year-old does not have money to pay for this. I have the money to pay for this. I can bring some kids to this theater... And we can have a great family experience. Sorry, the article even says adults will get some enjoyment out of it, but the main audience is children. It's not just for children, but mainly it's going to be for kids. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that there is. I mean, Nintendo's games themselves, like, people get upset. Every time, like, a Pokemon movie or Pokemon game comes out, people are upset it's so simple or, like, it's not dark or it's not rated T for teen or whatever would cause it to be that. Because they're making them for kids at the end of the day. And Nintendo's very open about that. That they're making it for the whole family and therefore appropriate for children. But what is the what is wrong? I'm not saying I want a Mario to come out here cussing. I'm not saying I want a Mario come, coming out here talking about adult situations. Things like that. Like whatever makes a movie PG-13 these days. I, I honestly still can't tell you. But to have a movie that has actual conflict... That has characters who are going on a character arc. Those things are important. And if we don't emphasize that. If we don't say that a movie like this. Once once again. I have been saying from the beginning. That Super Mario Brothers movie here is a billion dollar film. And it, I, based off of what I'm seeing from the weekend's box office. Based off of the people who I've talked to. Who have taken their families to this film. I, I think that's true. And if this. If a franchise like this. Starts to become like, uh, let me just say, like uh, the new Star Wars for this generation. 
we are in we are in for a rough time when it comes to stories a rough time when it comes to characters because this film doesn't give you anything it has <laughs> i was gonna say it has paper thin characters then i might as well have just watched the paper mario movie i mean come on this thing is just bad. Luigi, what is he? Oh, he's just scared all the time. That's his one thing. That's his one thing. And while I enjoyed that at times, I loved the, the Flash of the Shy Guys. I thought that was funny and clever. But th that's it. There's nothing more to it. Do I know what the, the end of the game is for the Shy Guys? Not a clue. Do I know what the end game is for Luigi? Yeah, he just wants to get back to Mario. What's their end game after that? I have no clue. They don't know. No, I mean Luigi goes from scared guy a lot to ending up saving Mario's life and being brave in this movie. So that's yeah, at the end of the movie when they're fighting Bowser, I, that is, I guess that does happen. It's shallow, but it's not. I, it's not. No, I think arc. that's his point. That's my Mike. whole point. Is this movie is so shallow that I like I look. What more do you want from it? Though? I want characters. Like, how would you like? How would you like Mar or Mario develop more? How would I like more? Like, I, I would like him. Yeah. Okay. Like, once again, I, I... I would like a movie where they actually make some sort of connection to each other before they go on this adventure together. Like, whether Mario helps them out with something or, you know, they bond over something. Because just grabbing some random people and going on an adventure where you have no chemistry between each other it's just like why are you doing this? but isn't that the same thing don't you feel like mario and luigi i, I didn't no, i'm not gonna say they had connection in that 1990s film either but <laughs> i don't think they had connection here i was like cool you're telling me your brothers you're doing the fist bumps but i don't feel that you don't feel like they're close enough to to you know burn the world for each other no not at all you know what i mean not at all and that's the thing which the film is trying to sell me on yeah. It, it, and like the, once again, the whole reason why I'm saying like I'm I'm bringing this up is because films that are quote unquote made for kids, Toy Story, like I, the connection between Buzz and Woody, and those are characters who never appeared until that film. I feel like they would go to infinity and for into what to infinity and beyond for each other by the end of that film. I and that's the same running length here as the Super Mario Brothers movie. Maybe they should have been focused on telling an actual good story instead of shoving every Easter egg in they possibly could. I mean, they established even as babies that Mario always stood up for Luigi. That one star. Once again, that is an Easter egg. It's meant to say, hey, you can play these characters on Super Mario Kart. Go buy that game. It also shows some, like him sticking up for him, though. It's not just, hey, a flash of <laughs> screen real quick. It, it can serve dual purposes. I... <laughs> I mean, yes, I can serve And those. they're close enough where they go to business together, even when everyone else around them thinks they're going to fail, they stick together and try to do it themselves. I'd rather or, have or, seen them fail. Like, do we ever see them fail other than that one that one scene at the very beginning, which I think is more meant to be a comedic scene about the dog? Well, they fail there, and then they get separated. Luigi gets caught, captured. Mario can't get, make it through the course. And Princess Peach is like, oh, it's okay. We'll try later, I guess, because you're the only person I have. Which also, I was like, okay, I don't know. It made me beg the question, why even make him do the course? I was just like, what? Easter eggs. Yeah, it's, 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 I guess, I guess. It's just meant to be, once again, Easter eggs, and hey, you can go buy this game, Super Mario World, or Builder, whatever it's called. I, 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 I sound like I'm bashing Nintendo, and I'm not, because I love those games. But there was nothing in this movie that made me go, yes, I want to watch this film again. 
I just sat back. I'm like, you know, I'll go play the game. I get more enjoyment out of the game because I'm the one controlling Mario. And maybe it's not giving me a groundbreaking story. But at least there's some bit of a story. I Like, for this film, the moment Toad showed up, I wanted to punt him like a football. <laughs> I was like, God, you're annoying. Not brave. Not sticking by your side. I'm like... Every game that I've done has just been the one who's, like, he's there to give you a power-up every once in a while. Samantha, you and I have a trip coming up to Super Nintendo World. There's more Goombas there than I, in the movie. I, I'm excited for that. I, I'm i still excited. Like, I'm still excited for that because I, I do like this brand. And, and who like, all of the merchant crap I'm going to buy at that world, like, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. So I should have been all in for this movie, but once again, it's a movie. I need character development. I need to have conflict. I need to have all these things. And for anyone out there to tell me it's meant for kids, that sounds like a you problem. That sounds like you didn't want to come up with a story. And I can't, I, I will never say that, hey, an audience, turn your brain off and you'll have a great time. That is offensive to the people who are watching the film, in my opinion. I just wish beyond belief that this film took a single chance. And for that reason, that's why I think the 90s film was better. It's taking chances. A huge chance. Do those chances make any sense? No. Not at all. But it's something. It's something to be like, okay, cool, this makes no sense. But you know what? We can actually talk about it. Versus this one. What? We can just talk about all the different... Bad guys who show up at the Bowser Peach wedding? The, the the more and more I think about this film, the more and more I'm just upset with it. And, I mean, going off of all the things I wish, I wish that they could have said, hey, instead of doing A-list stars to voice these characters, let's put all of our story, like all of our budget into getting some good screenwriters. But this film is played so, sh- so safe, so shallow, and it's just... It's not what I come to expect when I think of movies. Especially when you're saying, hey, we're making kids movies. I know nobody out there saw Strange World last year that was released by Disney. But that's even a film that's taking chances. To say that if the, the Walt Disney Company is taking chances and this film story here, Illuminations, Illumination, which keeps making these minion movies, Illumination has become the most shallow, most hollow of all the film studios. But not film studios, animation studios. And that's just frustrating. Because I really, like the first Despicable Me, I enjoyed it. But they've milked that cash cow now so much. And I'm like, guys, even DreamWorks is trying something new with the Puss in the Boots series. Trying new animation styles. Like, trying to throw in some like stuff that adults can't enjoy and relate to. There's nothing wrong with having a one-off line like that. Like, Cranky Kong, I thought, could have been that character. And Cranky Kong wasn't that. There was nobody here who had, maybe minus Luma Lee, who feels like... Well, I think we're all enjoying Luma Lee. And Luma Lee feels like the one character who doesn't belong in this film. So I guess I wanted more like that. I, I, I am frustrated and upset. I went in... Expecting to love this movie, wanting to love this movie, and I was just maybe I maybe I had too high of expectations, but I I feel like watching a movie that has conflict and character development is not something that is unprecedented to ask for. 
Samantha, do you have any closing thoughts here on this movie? Um, if they make a second one, I would like more Goombas. I'm just putting that into the world. I mean, sure, more, more, more Goombas. They probably won't do anything. I love them. I sure. I whatever. I I. I, did, I speaking of, I mentioned the old the A list like cast that they got. I know everyone was upset about Chris Pratt voicing Mario. Watching the actual final product here, it doesn't bother me. That's the one. Like, that's the one thing that doesn't bother me is Chris Pratt. The, the one who actually bothers me is Anya Taylor Joy. Is Peach? I'm like that. That you. Not, I don't want Damsel in Distress, Peach, but... She at least did a little bit in this movie. I did appreciate that. I would have been pretty annoyed if she did nothing. Would you rather have just seen her, like, try to go off by herself? Like, to get Cranky Kong, and Cranky Kong just going, no. And then she comes back, and she's like, okay, well, now I have to find a warrior, the chosen one, to go with me. Do you want another 20 minutes of the movie, Jonathan? Yes, I do, if it's giving me character development, if it's moving the plot forward. I have no problem with long movies if it's moving things forward. Like, going back to things that, like, John Wick was too long because it wasn't moving things forward. It was just staying in one, like, not, obviously it's all action, but, like, the plot of the movie wasn't going forward. It was just staying in one place where I could watch a 20-minute action scene, which maybe had two minutes of plot. Like, that, that was the thing that bothered me there versus, like, the Dungeons & Dragons movie. For the most part, everything there is moving the story forward. I might not enjoy everything that's, like, all the mechanisms that are, that are going, but overall, hey, like, each scene serves a purpose for character development, for narrative purposes. And I, while I didn't love every single character in that film, watching the Super Mario Brothers movie here, it makes me feel like each of those characters has a whole Bible written about them, about all this mythology. And this one has nothing. I, I guess that's my big takeaway from this movie is... Hey, you didn't want to start. You got a poison mushroom instead. I was to disagree. I feel like I ordered a cheeseburger and got a cheeseburger and I was happy and wasn't expecting like a steak or anything. But I think we're just, I think we just saw the movie differently is all. I don't think I went into this movie expecting a fine dining experience. I went in expecting a Super Mario Brothers movie, which once again, Mike, we play... Super Mario Brothers, like we play, we play these games. We play Mario Kart. We play Mario Party, Smash Brothers. And yes, there is no story to it, but it appeals to me as somebody who's thirty plus years old. As much as it appear appealed to me when I was five years old, when I was first playing Mario, and I just I wish I could say the same for this film. It's just you're, you're hearing a fan who was hurt. Who is upset and wants more. And maybe, maybe, I'll hold on to hope. Maybe with the sequel, because there's no way, like, (laughs) we're getting a sequel. We're getting a sequel to this. We're getting a Yoshi movie. We're going to get a Kirby movie. Hopefully we get a Legends of Zelda movie. Like, there there are so many things that could be built with this Nintendo brand. And if this is just the po- point where we're kicking everything off, and for me, we kick off in a low point, but it only, the product only gets better from there, I think that's fine. I don't think there's any reason to worry about that. But here at Filmology, we have a rating system for our movies. See it. Stream it. Still pains me to say. Skip it or let it burn. Let it burn means that everybody involved with this film, from the producers to the caterers, should be put into film purgatory 
and not be allowed to make a film again for a good long while. Samantha, what is your rating here for the Super Mario Brothers movie? I'm going to say skip it. Mike, your rating for the Super Mario Brothers movie? I'm going to say see it. And I have no clue. Obviously, as you've heard, I'm passionate about the things that this film does not do. But does it still offer some value? I think it... Hearing Jack Black's interpretation of Bowser... Jack Black's interpretation of Bowser is enjoyable. I think that there's moments of this film that offer me glimpses of entertainment. So I think that gets it out of the Let It Burn category and into the skip it. I... I'm hurt. I really am hurt because I want people. I want. I want. I want things like this to resonate with me, and it's just. It's not, and it's just so frustrating to me. And maybe I personally need to go see this movie again with a completely different mindset. But I, as of right now, I'm, I'm giving this movie a skip. It. I'll report back after we go to the Super Nintendo world. Maybe I'll have a completely different vibe. I'll be like, no, I actually personally got to step in this world. I got to be Mario for the day. Spoiler spoiler alert for everybody. That Super Mario world has more of a plot than this movie does. Doesn't make you cringe a little bit on the inside, Samantha. I'm going to be Goomba for a day and... uh, Have Mario come jump on you? That sounds miserable. He better not jump on me. Or I will lead... Personally, the Goomba Uprising. That's been coming for a long time. If you agree or disagree with any of our thoughts here on the Super Mario Brothers movie, and trust me, I've already gotten a lot of people who've been upset with my personal opinion on this film, feel free to write it into us at filmologyshow at gmail.com. We are going to completely change now to a different film, different genre, different everything, for better or for worse. Here is the trailer for Notting Hill. A very ordinary boy bumps into a girl and takes her home. The bathroom's on the top floor. It happens all the time. But she is no ordinary girl. She is Anna Scott, the most famous film star in the world. And when they get together, Everyone has something to say. Anna Scott, Anna Scott, Anna Scott. Hello, Anna. The life of a simple bookshop owner changes when he meets the most famous film star in the world. That is the one sentence plot synopsis for Notting Hill. This was Samantha's pick for this week's show, and the film is streaming on Netflix. So, Samantha, I'll kind of turn it over to you. Why don't you tell everybody why you picked this film and... Your initial thoughts on the film? I picked this film mostly because I was just in the mood to watch it again after some years have passed. Um, It used to be one of those movies that I would watch with my mom, and we'd have like a girls' night in, throw it on, enjoy our time, talk about Hugh Grant maybe, have some snacks. It was a great time. I definitely have seen a bunch of different rom-coms from that era uh, during our movie nights. So I was like, it's been a while. Let's watch this one again. And I will say that, no, I still enjoy it. There's some things that <laughs> I know Jonathan's going to have a problem with. There's some things that you kind of just have to accept. And you're like, wow, I don't think that happened in real life. 
But then you remember that this is a rom-com, and there's a lot of things that don't happen in real life with rom-coms, so you're like, okay, I'm good. I I really love the dry humor in this movie. I'm amused with his quirky, eccentric roommate, who I have no idea how he found. I, I don't know. I just, I really like this movie. Mike, your uh, initial thoughts here on uh, Notting Hill. Uh, better than I thought it would be. I remember not liking it as much, but now that I'm older, I enjoyed it a little bit more than I did before. This was my first time seeing the film. Before we get off of this whole thing about how I don't like romantic comedies, because I feel like that's where Samantha's kind of going. Uh, but currently I'm reading a book called From Hollywood with Love by Scott Meslaw. Sorry if I mispronounced that name there, but... Really, like, it's going over the history of the romantic comedy genre. And, I mean, Hugh Grant has a whole essay about him because uh, of the, uh, this film, uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. I mean, he, he would go on to... Well, actually, I don't think he would go on to do that many great romantic comedies. He did a lot of mediocre romantic comedies. What, is anyone out there going to tell me that music and lyrics is, like, the best thing ever? Uh, I want you to know that I have Pop Goes My Heart from that movie on my phone, and I play it to pump myself up before work sometimes. So, so Samantha will say that's a great movie. I love but that one. I don't hate romantic comedies. I love good romantic comedies. And this film here, you're right. The moment it started, I was like, why am I watching this really bad music video? What is going on? Eject immediately. I don't want to watch it. After we got over, like, I mean, obviously, they're a little meet-cute moment, and things are going on. Average romantic comedy, kind of, at that point. It follows all the beats. And even when you meet the friend group, which that's the moment when I start going, like, okay, I might be enjoying this film. And I I start to, it starts to win me over is it anything that's reinventing the wheel? No. But it's enjoyable. And actually, I, I would argue for me uh, that Julia Roberts is the least interesting aspect of this film. Uh, just because I don't think she's bringing much to the table. I mean, she's basically playing kind of a version, I guess, of herself. Being like, oh, I'm at this point, what, 1999? Julia Roberts, yeah, the most famous actress in the whole world. I mean, she's still famous. But does she really show up in movies that much anymore? No, not really. She's enjoying, she's enjoying her time, which I think I think that's great. I mean, enjoy the money that you've earned, do things with your life that you want to do. No one's judging you for that. But I just don't think that this is like her, the best thing that she's been in. But I, I mean, the, the the opening of this film for that bad music video. Any time that music drops in this film, honestly, if you want to go get up, get some popcorn. Stretch. Take a, take, take a lap around the house. You're gonna miss some of the romance no. then. No, I, the, the music parts of this film are cringeworthy. Absolutely cringeworthy. I, the music that they picked beyond sappy. And, and yes, I understand this is a romantic comedy. Get that? I, I do. I love once again. I love a good romantic comedy. About time is one of my all-time. Favorite films. And this comes from the person, uh, Richard Curtis. Like He wrote the script here for Notting Hill. And he also wrote and directed About Time. 
He also wrote and directed Love Actually, which that film has become problematic. But at the time, I thought that was a great film. It's still enjoyable, there were certain parts of it. Uh, but About Time is phenomenal. It's funny. It's moving. It, it makes your heart, like, it makes it happy, it makes it sad, it makes it cry. Cry from happiness, cry from sorrow. This film doesn't do that. This, at least not for me. It's, it's not, and once again, it's not shallow like the Super Mario Brothers movie. There's more character development in this film. There's more actual story going on in this film. I don't think there's, like, a ton that's, like, cool, this is the best thing ever. I don't think this film reinvents the romantic comedy genre. I mean, also, at this point, the romantic comedy genre wasn't dead. It definitely feels dead now. I know that Netflix tried to revive it a couple of years ago with the film uh, Set It Up, which was good, enjoyable. If I Mr. Samantha's like, yeah, average, but I think it was enjoyable. And... I don't think there's anything wrong with having a romantic, like a average romantic comedy like this. I'd rather watch this than half of the romantic comedies that Adam. Well not, I was gonna say half of the romantic comedies that Adam Sandler puts out, but does Adam Sandler do romantic comedies or are they just Adam Sandler movies? I think they're just Adam Sandler movies. I would like to argue that the watching this again, I feel like the comedy is so much stronger than the romance in this movie. So I almost feel like I wanted to watch it again for some of the humor that they provide. Like, I was laughing out loud with any of the horse and hound jokes. Like, one of one of those jokes went on for a while, but I was enjoying every second of it. Or the ghost movie joke, that one was great. Like, I feel like it has some really good, funny setups in this movie that I just laughed out loud at. I would once again like to put it, a lot of the jokes are very dry. It's not like watching um, something like the other day, Samantha, you watched the movie I Love You, Man, which not a romance, romantic comedy in the typical sense. It's more of like a bromance movie, but that movie's not dry like this. That that movie's kind of a time going out for the the gross out, maybe not gross out, but sometimes, sometimes the, the gross, gross out humor. This film never goes to that. And obviously that's something I enjoy more because I don't really care for that gross-out humor, which is another reason why, like, Cocaine Bear this year, that didn't appeal to me. But, yeah, it's, it's dry, it's smart. It, it, like, it's it's an overall good time. Is it too long? Yeah, maybe. It's, it's two hours and four minutes. I, I don't think a romantic comedy really needs to be two hours long. I think that some of the jokes that you're talking about, I'm assuming it's the one where he's, like, interviewing every single person who was involved with the film. Also, the part with the flowers made me laugh so hard. <laughs> I mean, there's things like that that are funny because, I mean, it's it's basically, it's trying to be like, okay. It's he, a situation dry comedy where, you know, he doesn't belong there. No one else knows he doesn't belong there. And he's just trying to sell this absurd idea and go with he, it at the same time. But he's trying to sell it so poorly that, yeah. like, that anybody involved with the film industry who's ever been on a film set, who's ever gone to like interviews like that. I know people who have gone to interviews like that who uh, haven't watched the movie. I mean, it probably happens all the time on these talk shows. We're like, oh, yeah, cool. Thank you for coming on my show. I love the new movie. It was great. And I'm like, that movie was trash. Did you even watch it? Like, like I'm sorry. But um, anyway, of course, you can't, you can't be rude to the talent because then they're never going to come back. So we'll never have anybody from Super Mario Brothers movie on our show. But that's, that's okay. Um, if we did, we just wouldn't talk about Super Mario and it'd be fine. Have a disclaimer in the, in the contract. Um, yeah, look, I 
I did, the, the, the flatmate, I, uh, is he necessary to this film? Because for me, that was the, I, I don't think that was necessary. I, it wasn't funny to me watching it. I just like the shirts and the glasses. I don't know. I think he brings an added dimension of chaos. <laughs> yeah, of chaos into the household where otherwise I feel like he'd have a very peaceful, quiet household. And I just feel like he's like, ha. Huh, I'm gonna come in here and blow that up. Hello. I just I, I know that I'm I'm nitpicking a film that's gonna be like okay because well, he's talking about how he's having financial trouble keeping the bookshop open, mm-hmm. and that's probably why he needs the flatmate. But other than like a dropped line like that, I never feel like he's having financial problems. Yeah, me neither. It feels like he's having a very middle class life, which of course I mean everybody like middle class life. Yes, some days we struggle with with balancing balancing checkbooks and things like that. But at the end of the day. Life kind of just goes on, a little ho-hum. Like, that's what his life feels like here. It doesn't feel like there's any actual struggle financially. He's having personal struggles, obviously, which we see, like, relationships, the relationship problems and how he wants to deal with that. But, I mean, this film gave us that classic line, but uh, the I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy uh, line. Mm-hmm. It's an iconic line. Like, that moment came here in the movie. I'm like, I know that line. I've heard that line. Don't know, like, other places I've heard it, probably other it's than... It's from Say Anything. You said that, and it's from this movie. Hmm. No, it's from this movie. It's not from Say Anything. Oh, Say Anything took it from this movie? No, Say Anything came out in 1989. Say, say Anything's a movie to Boombox, you know? The... Yeah, okay, maybe I'm wrong. John, am I your flatmate? And it just brings chaos? I don't... <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I don't... I think that's backwards. I think John is your flatmate. <laughs> I would argue that I probably bring more chaos than you bring chaos to me. Yes, I, I would. I would argue. I would argue that. But well, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I just I mean, the character, whatever. Nothing, kind of a nothing of a character for me. I guess the characters. No, actually, I know why the characters are. I can tell you the whole reason why the characters are. It's to, to have that paparazzi scene. Yeah, that, that's it. But th- I think there could have been more creative ways to do that. It's it's meant to be like bring up personal conflict a, and everything. Yeah, but, that is a plot point. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's a charming film. Like you have to get past certain cringeworthy music notes, uh, music beats again. The open the, the film opens with a montage, and closes with a montage. So usually when like I was talking earlier about Hamilton, when looking at things like theater. You always want to start with a bang and you always want to end with a bang because people are going to always remember the beginning and they're always going to remember the end. Sadly, if that same logic now applies to films, ugh, to this film, it, it 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 starts with a nauseating montage. And I, I do mean nausea, nauseating. It was just painful to watch. I, and I'm, I'm happy that Julia Roberts decided to lend over all of the footage that had been taken over your I've taken it for over the past, like, ten years of her life. But it's so bad. If it makes you feel better, after years of watching this and forgetting maybe half the movie, the things I remember most was the bookstore, the paparazzi scene, and the roommate is what I remembered the best. So, if it makes you feel better, I did not remember the montages. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to get into like the nitpicky stuff. Does he need to work at a bookstore? He could have this whole plot work. No. He could have worked at any place. He could have worked at a flower store. He could have worked at a food market. There's nothing specific about the bookstore. Yeah. 
uh, other than oh, it's charming. It's a little bookstore. I mean, I mean, when you say bookstore, that kind of just makes you feel a little bit happy. At least to somebody who loves to read books, it makes you feel happy inside. Versus oh, I'm working at the supermarket. No, it doesn't make me feel happy inside. Semantics. I guess it doesn't really matter. Compare, I mean, they've played Mad Libs with these kind of plots before, so that's whatever. But uh, yeah, um, Mad Libs with uh, from like Employee of the Month. Now that I'm thinking about like a giant like. Anyway, bad movie. Don't need to talk about it. Uh, so yeah, my rating here, once again, for Notting Hill, we do a rating system. See it, stream it, skip it, let it burn. My rating is a stream it. I don't think that there's anything in this movie that is going to, once again, reinvent the wheel for the romantic comedy genre. I think this is a strong entry point. Uh, not entry point, but a, a strong point in that genre. But those... Music montages, like every music, every musical choice that's picked for this film is completely over the top and eye rolling. I couldn't get over it. It still can't get over it now after watching the film. So for that reason alone, for me, it's a stream it. It is a very high stream it, but it's still a stream it. Samantha, you're rating for Notting Hill. My ratings also stream it. I I feel like the comedy is so strong for dry humor in this one that I think people should watch it. I don't know if it came back to theaters, if I would need to rush to the theaters to see it, though. So I'm going to go with stream it. So you're not going to be like me with Return of the Jedi showing up in the theaters again for that one week only. I'm like, yep, my whole week's played out. Every night, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I don't think I need to do that need for to do this that. one. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Mike, your rating for Notting Hill. I'm going to say uh, stream it. Uh, and I'm, I'm, that might just be because I'm charmed by Julia Roberts all the time. But I really enjoyed it, um, so stream it. I mean, yeah, Julia Roberts gave off the classic Julia Roberts girl next door vibe. I mean, Mike, you're, like everything about the 90s I think you love. And Julia Roberts is definitely like 90s. And I just, I, I guess I never got the the big appeal of her. Maybe one day you will. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. I mean, I mean, I, I, I maybe, maybe when Maybe me and Sam will make a pact for every every week we just pick a Julia Roberts movie <laughs> until you love her. Well, no, I, I think, actually, I, I can't, I think it was you, Mike, who made me watch um, uh, My Best Friend's Wedding. I think, I think that's the, the film. I remember, I might have, I remember watching that, yeah. And I thought that was fine. Like, for the most part, I think she's in fine movies. But there's nothing that I would be... Pretty Woman, right? I, I, his, yes. I've never seen that movie. Which, you need to see that one. That one's pretty good. I loved the musical. I'd say that one's better than this one, so... Especially for Julia Robert. I mean, that's her big, like, breakout movie. Yeah. So, I, I would hope. I mean, and that... you saw the musical, and that was wonderful. They do sing a little bit less in the movie, though. Just a little bit? I mean... Just a little bit. <laughs> If you agree or disagree with our thoughts on Notting Hill, can you email us at filmologyshow at gmail.com. We are going to play a clip here now from the Super Mario Brothers movie leading us back into that realm of animation. We're going to talk about our top five animated films coming up after the break. Pretty Goomba walking down the street. Adventure happening right now. Just clear a path for us. Me. If I could just... Here you go. Excuse me. 
Excuse me, everybody! Coming through! This guy's brother is going to die imminently! Out of the way, please! Just trying to clear a path. That's all I'm doing. He's gonna be fine. Chantrell! Nice to see you, bud. You just have to blow into it. And up we go. Wait up. We are back to talk about our top five animated films. Now, once again, film animation is not a genre of film. It's a medium to tell stories. I want to make that clear. So, yes, all the films are animated, but that doesn't make them like a lesser film than anything out there. I think animation is actually one of the most spectacular ways to tell stories. And with my top five, I mean, I want a thousand percent stand by my top five. It was incredibly hard to make a list of just five movies. Uh, for those of you who don't know, like, I'm a huge, like, I, obviously a film buff, but like a fan of the, the Disney classic canon of films. Not to call Adam out, but last week when Adam was talking about how Shrek was done by Disney, it, it like, uh, crushed my soul a little bit inside. Shrek is uh, DreamWorks, by the way, so... Coming up with a list, guys. Did you guys have a hard time with this, or was this a pretty simple task? Uh, it's pretty simple. Oh. It was hard for me because I feel like animated things is a big part of my wheelhouse for movies. So I had so many options to narrow down. So to the point that I had so many options to narrow down, I specifically tried to be like okay i'm gonna pick films from different studios be like okay cool i have one out from the walt disney animation studio i have one from pixar uh, yada 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 now obviously pixar is owned by disney now but it's like a separate arm of that company it's not like the classic canon of those uh, coming up on what 60 films i believe but uh i do technically have two disney films then in my list one representing hand-drawn animation and one representing the new computer's uh, animated uh, animation. But I'll, I'll start really quick. Uh, my number five. It's a film that we talk about, I feel, Samantha, we talk, you and I talk about quite a bit. Uh, Princess Mononoke. It's my number five pick. I had to pick a film from Studio Jubilee. Like, which one do I personally enjoy the most? Princess Mononoke. And like last week, it just barely missed my top five fantasy films i'm like you know what this film has to make this list i'm picking a film from studio jubilee and it's my favorite of their films yes they have other fantastic films but if i was picking one film and be like this is the one that i want this company to be like represented by for the rest of eternity for me it's this film spectacular animation a fantastic story and an amazing score as well just overall i mean anytime that this film comes into the theater because i know there's a whole bunch of I think AMC actually does their, like a Studio Ghibli marathon like every year now, it seems. Uh, every time this plays, you guys gotta go see it. I mean, it's fantastic. So, number five, uh, Princess Mononoke. Uh, my number five is Kubo and the Two Strings. I just, I love this movie. <laughs> I cried way too hard at it. 
I just think it's beautiful, and I love the voice acting, and it's great. I love it. I mean, it's also one of those films that's stop motion, like mm-hmm. I mean, which is the form of animation, and just all the painstaking work that goes into that, like. Even a film, for me, like, you know, we've talked to the last week about Corpse Bride, how I'm not a huge fan of it, mm-hmm. but I still admire the craft that went into that film. Even if it's, like, a, a film that story-wise I don't agree with. Like, let's say if Mario here was made in a stop-motion way, I'd be like, you know, that's, like, all of the work that they did that for it, fantastic. I mean, that's not, I'm not take, trying to take away the work that they do at the computer, but it, it's just, it, it's different. So, I mean, Cooper almost two strings, while it's, I think actually my least favorite of the films, I can't think, what is the name of that company? I can't remember. Because uh, they did um, uh, they did Coraline, Box Trolls, and Kubo and the Two Strings. And for me, uh, Kubo and the Two Strings is like the weakest of those films, but it's still really strong. So it's not like, I mean, those three films are fantastic. I think it's uh, Laika, right? Yeah. Laika, yeah. I will say that Box Trolls almost made it instead of Kubo because of that one I also cry a lot at in a good way. I mean, being a, <laughs> being a Wisconsinite, like, the whole plot line with cheese there, it yeah. just, um, it, it, it hit me. But that, yeah, I mean, once again, that, that's very, like, I'm a Wisconsin. I, 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 born and raised in Wisconsin, obviously not living there now, but makes me think of home. So, uh, like, here number five. I forgot what order this goes in. I think this is the way it's supposed to go. Uh, Scanner Darkly, um, the Phil K. Dick adaptation book adaptation with Keanu Reeves and Robert Downey Jr. Um, I just really like the animation and the blah, blah, blah. the animation, um, and honestly, I think it's a really great movie. So that's my number five. I've sadly never seen this movie, and it's ba- mainly because it, it's dealing with like like you said, drug addiction and everything like that, right? It's not really a topic I feel the need to have in my life right now. So Funny you should say that, oh, but we'll no. get to that later. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, my number four. Samantha, I mentioned earlier that I might talk about the D23 Expo in a little bit. This is where it comes back. My number four is Moana. Hmm. And just look visually, this film is spectacular. I think about the scene where Moana is walking on the ocean floor, going over to uh, to Ka at that point to re- restore the heart of Tafiti. In that 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 whole scene between the music, the animation, that makes that movie. It is spectacular. And like when we were at our first D twenty three Expo, I talk about this all the time. But uh, I, 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 of course now I can't think of her name. But uh, the the girl who voices Moana, uh, we 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 met her and she got she was there and. Seems like one of the most down-to-earth people ever. And just getting to hear her sing How Far I'll Go, it's, it's a moment that I'll... That, that that specific moment at D23 was a uh, moment I'll never forget. And just watching that movie, watching that Moana movie, it, no matter how many times I watch it, I still get those moments of complete glee. Like, complete wonder just like all these emotions and like i I've, I've watched that film about like probably about eight nine times and i still tear up at points in that film and it's because of the story that's been told the the animation the, the visuals that are on display and i think that this film well once again moana's not my favorite of all the disney canon but i think that it visually 
has so much to offer. And it, it's still a spectacular film, and it deserves its spot at number four on my list. In the back of my mind, I'm also like, oh, no, they might make a sequel to this movie, and it might tarnish it a little bit, which I... Please don't. Disney, please don't. And I know that they just announced a live-action version of Moana. Oh, honestly, my heart was breaking a little bit there, because there's, there's no way, no way that you can tell this story as well in live action as you could in animation. Mm. Like that that scene that I was talking about? Just like can you imagine just that happening in front of a green screen? It's not gonna feel it's not gonna feel good. It's not gonna feel like it like it, it just it makes me tear up just thinking about it now. Just by the whole the 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 like she walks up and says, I know who you are and things like that. It's just it's a this whole thing about being seen, even when you might be looked at by the rest of the world as this monster. I'll tell you all back to Hamilton, who lives to die, who tells your story, like the legacy that's being told here. Looking at it from different sides of the same coin, it's just fascinating. And obviously, Lynn Manuel Miranda worked on the music for that, uh, but yeah, just a phenomenal film. Moana, Mike, have you seen Moana? I know you're not a huge fan of. You're not a huge fan of, like, musicals and stuff like that. And Moana, obviously, is still, like, a classic Disney musical. It has those show-stopping numbers. Uh, how have you not seen Moana? Oh, Mike, you, you gotta you got to go out there and check out this film. I think I just, I just missed it. Like, I didn't watch it, and I just kind of forgot about it. Until just now. I'll never, I will never forget about this film. Ne- never in... Yeah, I, 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 I could go on and on about how I feel about Moana and how like I love its representation at the theme parks and everything like that. But that's not what this show is. That's what other shows are for. So not this show. Uh, Samantha, your number four. My number four is Wally. That's the best I can do. Uh, <laughs> I guess speaking of D23, uh, I met a little Wally robot that somebody had brought to the expo and no. it was so cute and i was absolutely obsessed with him no just samantha i i think that you're missing it that was wally that yeah like that he I, had I, his little cockroach too don't worry he wasn't by himself I, I, that's not my pixar film that's not the one i went with but Wally, like there, there, so there was a, there was a time that pixar never made a bad film and wally is like one of those films like that is just perfection. I love the animated scene of when they're flying through space and Wally has a little fire extinguisher. The dancing. So adorable. Way back when we did our top five Pixar movie moments, and in, in that that scene that you're talking about, yeah, it like once again we're talking about my scene from Moana. That scene. Just breathtaking and smoothing, and it's just something that you once again. The reason why animation is so spectacular, you can't get that same vibe if you did that in real life. Like it's it's just something spectacular. Picking a Pixar film for my list was really hard. It was really hard, and I. I mean, once again, if you want to, if you want to go back to look at our top five Pixar uh, movie moments, that's over at Infomologyshow.com. We go over a whole bunch of different ones, uh, but we'll get to my number one, my number one pick from that list, and then it'll also be uh, on my list, not my number one movie. But uh, Mike, your number four. My number four is the Iron Giant. 
Yeah, I just really enjoyed that one. Uh, I spent actually a long time since I watched it. Um, but when I was thinking of the list, it's one of the first things that popped in my head and never really fell off. Packs a heck of a emotional wallop, and I'm pretty sure most people have probably seen it. And if you haven't, you should go out and do it. Or go out and watch it now. I mean, Samantha was looking like she was really happy with that pick. Yeah, I love that movie. It's such a sweet movie. It is. It's um, Vin Diesel's best performance, but that doesn't really mean anything. So I was you, you <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth. So thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen the film in ages, so I, I can't really speak on it. I remember loving it, uh, but I I haven't. I, I I can tell you, I own a copy of it, but I actually haven't watched a. Co- I haven't watched it since I bought it, so it's been a it's been a while. Number three. Such, once again, a hard pick. I, I wanted to pick a film that represented hand-drawn Disney animation, which sadly seems like something that that company will never go back to. And it's it's something for me that's, once again, it's moving. It's spectacular. It's just something that takes so much craft to do and so many different people to do. And I I had to think of a film that just encapsulated everything that animation is to me. And that film was Fantasia. I, I I love the 1940s Fantasia film, and it's it's spectacular. I mean, it's combining thing, two things that I love, music and animation, and it's just giving you this experience that, yes, like they the company itself replicated with Fantasia 2000, but I can't think of another company that's done an experimental film like this, and it's just great. Like, I, I think of uh, sequences in this film that are just... Iconic. I mean, you have things like Sorcerer's Apprentice with Sorcerer Mickey. You have a Night on Bald Mountain with Chernobog. You then have the Ave Maria that ends the film. And it's just all of it. It like I don't need to have the music with it. The music obviously helps, adds a whole other element to the film. But just that animation by itself, like I could put the film on mute and I could still have a spectacular time and a incredible time watching this film fantasia one of the best of the walt disney uh, film studio my number three is the movie your name it was such a wild ride watching this movie for the first time it is such an interesting concept with kind of a very dramatic climax of the story I also feel that the animation is so beautiful and detailed and like almost crystal clear at times, if that makes any sense, compared to some of these other animation styles that I just, I love this movie. Do you remember, Jonathan? You were just looking kind of confused. I really, really like your name. Obviously, when it came out, I gave it a good review. I still like think positively of the film. It, like I'm, I'm not begrudging you for having this on your list. Like there, there are some things that, like, let's say if you're like um, a, a, a movie called Cool World, which I don't know if you've ever heard of, Mike. I don't know if you've ever watched that Brad Pitt movie. But like if that movie was on your list, I'd be like, no, I'm judging you 100. percent But you know, your name, like you talk about the animation, spectacular. The story is incredibly different than anything out there. Uh, but in a good way, like kind of, kind of like once again, classic Pixar for me. It's a story that I never would have thought I needed to see on the big screen, and then I saw it. And I'm like, man, why? Where, where? Where has this been my entire life? And it, it, very emotional. Like I remember, uh, I remember yeah. just being kind of just that gut, gut punch. punch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's it's really good. Yeah, I, I mean, 
not, yeah, really, really enjoyed the film. I, I, it's more that I was just thinking back in my own memories of the film, uh, and it's it's really good. I mean, it, I I'm not gonna take anything away from your pick. So, Mike, uh, I might take something away from your pick though. What's your what's your number three? Cool world. I'm just kidding. Uh, my number three is yeah three Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which is probably the best Batman movie. Of I was gonna say on film, but that's all movies. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Mark Hamill does a fantastic job as Joker. Kevin Conroy, obviously fantastic. Um, and I like the new neo noir setting genre type thing going on. Um, yeah, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Originally, I thought I was joking when I said I might take shots at your number three. Oh, I'm I I I love that Batman animated series, but like I I, I guess I'm being really judgmental because I'm like I'm looking at my list. I'm like, man, the animation in this is great, and this I could just take like, like for me Fantasia or uh, Moana or my other films coming up. I could take a shot of this and I could put it in a museum and be like, man, let's look at this. It's so spectacular to look at. And then Batman Mask of the Phantasm for me was like, I mean, obviously I'm pretty sure that most people out there know the story of that, how it was meant to be like, you know, one of those directed video things. And then the original Batman movie came out and did gangbusters and they're like, no, forget that. Let's put this in theaters. And it, to me, that's that's kind of how it feels. I, 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 As a Batman fan, I enjoy Mask of the Phantasm. But if we're talking about animation, like as a medium here, I'm like, oh, I I'm going to be quiet because I'm going to get emails about how I'm hating on Batman Mask of the Phantasm and how I'm picking on co-hosts of the show. It's but, okay. I didn't even bother watching most of your list so far, so it's all right. It's fine. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Rare. The claws are out. All right. Uh, my number two. This is my Pixar pick. And it's, once again, Pixar, it's so hard. Like, But this, this one is... This is the one Pixar film that has, ever since I first saw it, has resonated with me, continues to resonate with me, inside out. It is just a spectacular film filled with breathtaking animation, a story that, this is the film I'm going to talk about with, hey, making a film for eight-year-olds. I mean, Riley is a kid who's growing up. She's having all these different emotions. And to have a film that openly talks about that, how it's okay to have these memories, it's okay to be sad in that that moment. In the film that at the end, which still like just once again, I, I'm talking about how moments of movies bring me to tears. This one as well, like the mixed memory, like that, that was my number one Pixar moment is seeing that mixed memory come down, and that has moments of joy, moments of sadness, and it's like no, like it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be happy. As somebody who like go who has depression, who's like you know, what? like it's it's great. Yes, obviously, I, like I have people in my life who tell me that, who tell me it's okay to deal with that. It's okay, like find healthy ways to deal with that. But then to to still see that being told in a big budget film from the like a film studio who I adore, and to see it told in such a way that is moving, that tells that's about the loss of childhood, that's about just growing up. Like this film is beyond spectacular. It's funny. It's moving. It's just everything that I want in a film. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, this is a kids' film that appeals to everybody. 
I didn't know who these characters were walking in, but they go on journeys. They take you down paths that I never thought we would go on. Never thought that I would be like bawling over an elephant made out of cotton candy. Like such a spectacular film. Animation is usual with Pixar, even for films that I don't like overly love, like Lightyear. They their animation is still spectacular. And they continue to knock it out of the park. I, I'm i very nervous, to be honest. Like, if you, Pixar said they're making Toy Story 5, okay, whatever, fine. Totally good with that. The moment that they said Inside Out 2, I... Yes, it makes sense to revisit Riley at some point. But that fear, that little nerve of fear in your brain, just being like, I don't want you to tarnish this spectacular film and I just I it, it is my favorite Pixar film one of my all-time favorite films of all time inside out number two my number two is I lost my body <laughs> oh you I, you got you almost uh, you kind of almost like a little vomit oh I'm yeah sorry. Jonathan almost lost his body from how excited he was to hear this is on my list I am absolutely obsessed with this French animation film, and I will never stop being obsessed with it. I'm just fascinated by being able to take a random object, random body part, and give it such life, such personality, and have it go on this emotional journey and bring you with. I'm just fascinated by it, and I always will be. I respect everything you said. I I just I didn't have that journey with this film, so I... I rarely regret watching a movie, oh my God. but I thought I thought that I wasted my time watching it. I'm sorry. I, I did not like this movie at all. My number two is I don't want to share because John's being mean to me. Yeah. Uh, it's Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Uh, it's super pretty. All the animation is really awesome. As a lot of uh, um, I I believe kids say the songs slap these days, uh, and. Uh, I like all the themes that intermingle together. It's just absolutely fantastic. One of the best animated films I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be mean to you on that one, Mike. Only because there's a record of it. He'll wait till we're off the air. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I mean, my number one pick, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Like, not, not joking, but completely, that is my number one pick. I had it written down here when we sat down. Because this is this is that film that pushes this medium forward, pushing it to its limits. It's like bringing every animation style you can possibly like think of into a single film, and that is the spectacular thing about this. And the, the thing that's even actually more spectacular is that it works. Like on a narrative level, it works. I'm never questioning the logic of this film. I'm there from the beginning of the film to the very end of the film on this amazing journey with Miles. I think it's spectacular. Like this is just a groundbreaking piece of film. And I just, I I love that it captures that message of Spider-Man. I mean, we talked before about how Spider-Man is a character who's incredibly important to me. And this film is just basically a time capsule of why this character is important. And that that this character is important to People of every gender, every race, every age. Like, this film is a love letter to Spider-Man. 
but it's also moving things forward, which is something that I love. And that's, once again, what I've been talking about this whole show. That's why we created Filmology way back when, was to talk about the past, present, and future of film. To talk about how we can move things forward while also celebrating everything that's come before us. So, I mean, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, definitely a phenomenal film. And I'm, I'm really excited to go back and revisit it before the sequel. So I'm, uh, I mean, I, I, we'll see if Lightning can strike twice. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping it can because I'm excited to see what new things they throw at me. Uh, I hope it's not just like a, a cameo fest of every single Spider-Man out there. But uh, we'll see. Uh, number one, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. My number one is Howl's Moving Castle. I have always been obsessed with this movie. This is the movie that I loved so much that in school I would be daydreaming of being somewhere else and I would be placing myself in this world. (laughs) I know how to play the flute and it was one of the songs I actively, actively would practice and learned how to play the merry-go-round of life, I believe it's called. It's like the main theme in the movie. So I can even play the song for everybody because I just, gosh, I just love this movie so much. It's so beautiful. The story's just wonderful and moving. And there's so many great characters in this movie. I just, I love everything about it. All right, Mike, how are you going to top your your picks? I mean, Samantha, obviously, Hall's Moving Castle is phenomenal. There, there's a whole bunch of Miyazaki films that if you said, these are the ones I'm going to go with, I'd be like completely fine. Like I, I would, even the films that I don't like, like uh, I think of the Wind Rises. I don't care for the narrative story of that film, but when I look at the animation, especially the, the Howl's Moving Castle, like the animation is spectacular on that film as well. Uh, I, I, I mean, I keep talking about how we need to have a Studio Ghibli marathon, and just I mean, you hearing you talk about that film makes me want to. Have that marathon even more now. Great, let's do it tonight. Uh, not tonight, but I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I think you're always ready for a good Studio Ghibli marathon, <laughs> and it just hasn't happened yet. Oh, actually, we should probably do that before they decide to take the films off HBO Max, because who knows what's going on with HBO Max? Yeah, they uh, they're a mess right now. But uh, Mike, you're number one. My number one is up. Uh, it made me cry, and then I laughed a bit, and I it's probably my favorite Pixar movie, uh, and. So I put number one, honestly, because Pixar makes a lot of good movies. I mean, if we're, if we're going to talk about the the perfect opening to a film, like the, a perfect ten minutes of a film, opposite. Like, I don't think it gets any better than that. It tells a complete story that, I mean... It catches you up to where the, the characters are now. Where they need to be for the story to, to go on. And, and you're already connected to them immediately. And the moment that you hear that song, that, that married life theme... Like, I, I, for me, it just it brings me back to that montage. And I've never been so moved by a montage before in my life. And I don't think I still have till this day. I've, I've seen Up. I mean, I saw Up opening weekend in 3D. I went and saw it. And, yeah, I, it's, for me, it, 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 top-tier Pixar, not my favorite due to some of the other things. But the animation is spectacular, especially I I keep I mean, the thing that I would think about is that the house going through the city. And I remember when the light hits those balloons, especially in, in like, the kid's room. There's that one scene. And it, I mean, once again, I'm talking about things that fill your heart with wonder and joy and exploration. 
I mean, that one shot there, that does it for that film for me. I mean, mm-hmm. the film overall, once again, is spectacular. But, I mean, I, lo- I love Up. I-, I love almost every Pixar film. Like, even even the films that I'm not crazy about, uh, Turning Red, Lightyear, they're still, the animation is still spectacular. I, I, I'm happy that they're telling these stories. They don't all appeal to me. But I'm still happy that they're out there making films and they're taking chances. I mean, Turning Red sadly wasn't released in the theaters because of the pandemic and Bob Chapek's terrible choices at the Disney company. But I'm happy that the film got released. I'm happy that people are liking that film. I mean, at least every time that I talk to people, once again, I my grasp on the Disney bubble is completely different, I feel, like everyone else's viewpoint here. I mean, Samantha, you like you like Disney. But like me, I, I'm I'm basically in those trenches every day talking with Disney people, and we're talking about how things are going at the theme parks and how things are going at the Disney Studio. Like that's like if if, if there was like a beat that I covered for news, it'd be the Disney beat. So, uh, but yeah, people people love turning red, and I'm happy to do uh, honorable mentions. Does anybody have anything that they want to talk about? I mean, for me, uh, every Pixar film basically. But I mean, if I had to name a couple, I would name Coco. Uh, Wally is m- mentioned earlier. Finding Nemo was another great one. A film that I thought was actually a bit too new to put on my list, but when talking about animation, I really love it. I, I love Encanto. Mm. Just uh, the the casita, the house, the all the movement and everything going on there. It's it's spectacular film to look at, and it's it just in my head. I'm like, okay, I don't. I'm not sure if this film <laughs> stands the test of time or if it's just something that I love now. Which every other film on my list, I'm like, okay, no, I, I've lived with you enough. I, I I know where you're at in my lexicon of animation. And Kanto is one of those that I'm like, okay. I mean, we, we, we saw that in the theater. I don't know if you remember, Samantha, uh, before it hit Disney+. Plus, and we, we both really liked it. But I was like, man, there's nobody here. Which, thought, which felt really weird to me. And then the moment that thing hit Disney+, Plus, it, it just blew up. Blew up. Yeah. To the point when we were here at D23 uh, this past year, you you couldn't go five steps without hearing an Encanto song and hearing somebody talk about Encanto. But once again, I mean that's, I mean that's the Disney's Disney Fan Expo. So I mean that's I guess to be expected at something like that. <laughs> uh, some other other honorable mentions I have: uh, The Mitchells versus the Machines. Once again, another film that's pushing the animation genre forward. I mean, it's done by the same studio who did Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse, so it's a lot of the same kind of uh, tricks that they used for Spider-Verse, but Mitchell's versus the Machines is a very <laughs> spectacular film. Um, and then another honorable mention I'll give. I'll give one more. Uh, you know, once again, talking about films that are too new, like this one's definitely too new, but Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, I think, was just spectacular. Very dark, but staying true to that classic Pinocchio tale, giving it a very Guillermo del Toro twist on it. Very moving. Once again, talking about anime, like stop motion animation. That I, I don't think I've seen anything like Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio when thinking about stop motion animation. I mean, the only closest thing would be actually Kubo and the Two Strings, but I think that I think that's a genre that. That is spectacular, and, and while we're thinking, and while talking out here, I, th- I think Leica has a new film coming out this year. I'm gonna look into that. You guys go into honorable mentions, and I'm gonna come back. My honorable mentions, I narrowed it down to three that I wanted to mention. 
Uh, just, just a disclaimer, in general, Miyazaki and Disney have some very strong animated films. I just didn't decide to list every single one <laughs> as my honorable mention, but basically all of those are great. Go watch those. Uh, for the other ones, I have The Breadwinner, Wendell and Wild, and Klaus. All three of these are so, so unique and different from each other that I was just fascinated by them. Wendell and Wild, there's, that one is very new. I think that's 2022 release. What I will say about that one is it's a little quirky, a little weird, but I like the fact that it's taking risks and it's such a div- diverse uh, character list that it's just, it's really interesting. So I just, I just got to put that on there. And then I think I've talked about Klaus before on the show, but it's not at all what you expect for a Christmas animated movie, but it just brings forth so much emotion for these characters. Gets you in the holiday spirit. I mean, there's for me, there's yeah. like for, for that film, every holiday season now, I will put that film on. Like, guaranteed. If Netflix takes it off of Netflix for some reason for a film that they made, like, I will, like, honestly feel like I have to go down there and be like, nope, I need a copy of this. Like, Somehow, some way, give me a copy of this film to watch because that that would be heartbreaking to me if they took that film off Netflix. Uh, also, really quick, uh, we were talking about Leica earlier, and I said, "Oh, they made these three films." I completely forgot some other films that they made. Uh, they made Coraline, as I mentioned. They made uh, Paranorman, which is also pretty good. Uh, Box Trolls, which was mentioned. Kubo on the Two Strings, obviously mentioned, and then a film that sadly I. I don't think it's that spectacular, but Missing Link. Uh, it's probably the weakest of that. Uh, it's the weakest link. It's the weakest link. <laughs> uh, and then they do have some other films that are in the process of being made right now, but nothing set for uh, release dates. So, so three films that are in the works, but obviously stop motion animation takes a bit. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Mike, do you have any honorable mentions? Um, Aladdin from last week. Uh, Watership Down from 78, which is scary, but good, and I loved it. You can find past episodes of this very show over at filmologyshow.com. Past five, uh, past top five lists, written reviews all the way back to 2013. Also, make sure to follow us over on Facebook, Instagram. Technically, we have a Twitter. But we don't use but Facebook and Instagram, both Filmology Show. Anything else you guys want to say before we quickly... Head out here? Yum. I mean, Yoshi noise is the best way to end anything, <laughs> as the Super Mario Brothers movie showed me. Um, all right, guys. Enjoy your weekend film. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.